Everybody, welcome to Your Rights at Work. Chris Garlock here with Ed Smith. Our final segment is, uh, this guest came to my attention. Somebody sent me this piece he'd written. It was called uh, Forgotten, an American, an African-American soldier turned rebel leader in the Philippines. And there's an interesting piece about a guy named David Fagan. And I, you know, a guy who thinks I know my my labor history, I'd never yeah. heard the name David Fagan. And I had to so look I, it up too. Yeah, so I said, I got to have this guy on. Uh, John Melrod is the author of Fighting Times, Organizing on the Front Lines of the Class War. Welcome to Your Rights at Work, John. Thanks so much. And I feel right at home, both, <laughs> as, a, both as a longtime UAW member and as a kid who grew up in D.C., Oh, did not know either of those. All right. Well, we've got the right guy in the right show. So you, you gotta for who who was David Fagan? And and this is and you have we have like a 10-minute segment here. So we're just gonna scratch the surface. We'll probably have to do another show, but get give people just a, a thumbnail of who this guy was. Fascinating story. Yeah, I'll try and do that because it is a fascinating story. And it's particularly relevant, just say this quickly, in a time when you have uh <clears throat> really these white nationalist uh, governors like DeSantis, who were getting rid of, you know, African-American classes, you know, thank goodness you guys are talking about African-American history with this piece on Fagan. And, you know, Fagan himself, he was, uh, he had been busted up in quite a few union strikes. And one of the reports I read that he had scars all up and down his body when you think about it in the late 1890s in Florida, it was an early union days. Um, and he grew up as a child of slaves and looked around and said, the life in Tampa isn't offering much. I'm using a sledgehammer to, you know, knock out phosphate for a mining company. And, I, you know, I got Jim Crow. I got chain gangs all around me and I'm trying to figure out something better. And he came in contact with Buffalo Soldiers, which were the black soldiers that had been used, <clears throat> you know, in the Civil War, but after the Civil War to sort of expand the United States colonialism. And they were feared. And they had they had attitude. When they walked down the street, Fagan said they held their heads up high. Nobody could tell them what to do. That's he said, I'm gonna be one of those guys. So he went off with high hopes and dreams you know, of being a Buffalo soldier. But he found himself ended up in the Philippines. And they told him, you guys are going there to get rid of some Tagalog, you know, vicious ruler that we're going to overthrow. Well, the story quickly, that, that facade fell apart. And it turned out he was part of a colonial force that had come in to take over the Philippines. I'm no shocked, surprise. Jonathan. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. Who knew? I mean, who knew we ever had nation building in history? So, <clears throat> you know, it's funny because, because it was uh, President McKinley, and it was really a product of the much earlier, <laughs> excuse me, 
manifest destiny, right. expand democracy and Christianity. Now, McKinley forgot that it was already a Catholic nation because of the Spanish. I mean, that's how <clears throat> blindfolded our guys, you know, the leadership of the United States political class was. But Fagan got sent over with a regiment of 2,100 Buffalo soldiers. And they soon found themselves back in the same position that he had been in in Tampa. He was a second-class soldier. You know, he had to do, all the black soldiers had to do the jobs that no white soldiers wanted to do. And worse than that, they were pushed to the front of all the battle lines and they were suffering the worst casualties. Sounds a bit like Vietnam, maybe. I'm flashing mm -hmm. on that. That's exactly or, flashing yeah. on that and, and, and World War II, too. And World War II. Yes, World War II. Absolutely. That's what my wife's father was in World War II, and he was always the recon guy. Yeah. In the middle well, there, of winter, in the dark. Well, and there you go. And you had these West Pointers. You know, his, his, his commanding officer was a West Point guy who, who, you know, had been filled with propaganda. And, you know, was a racist, as racist as could be. And Fagan stood up to him and wouldn't tolerate, you know, th this kind of racist treatment. And that put them into conflict. And his, uh, his commanding officer, his commanding officer sentenced him to 30 days of hard labor and fined him a month's pay. Well, you know, they weren't making anything to begin with and you know 30 days in in the in the brig he decided basically to hell with this and the filipino liberation fighters they were really fighting to liberate their country when the u.s got there they had already established a constitution a government you know there was no need for the great white father to come in and tell the Filipinos how to run the islands. But of course they did in trying to expand the US empire. And Fagan started seeing materials posted by um, Filipinos that said, don't fight for the same white racists that treat you as second class citizens at home. We're part of your same struggle. And I'll never forget during the anti-war movement, seeing a picture of black soldiers in the jungle in Vietnam with a signpost from the Vietnamese saying, black soldiers, don't fight for the same KKK clique that sent you here. You're on our side. And so Fagan decided, look, I got more in common with the Filipino brown people than I do with my white lieutenant. and." Um, he arranged with a insurrecto, insurrectionist officer who was a leader of the Philippine Liberation Army to meet him at night and he escaped. They had a horse there for him and he rode off into the, into the jungle to join the guerrillas, as did 15 other Buffalo soldiers. So it wasn't a lone event. There was disgruntlement widely, you know, throughout the ranks. In fact, they Going back in history, there was a huge debate in the African-American community. Even then, was this colonialism? Were we being exploited to expand U.S. colonialism? So it was a real debate. And Black soldiers were writing home letters about how they were being treated. 
So Fagan went over and he became such a distinguished guerrilla fighter that his loyal troops refused to call him captain. They called him El General, the general. <laughs> so let me let me, uh, let me just break there. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking uh, with John Melrod about the uh, life and legacy of this amazing guy, David Fagan. Uh, this, of course, is Black History Month. Um, and he, he penned this great piece called Forgotten, an African-American soldier turned rebel leader in the Philippines. I I just love, and Ed and I both loved this, when when we we stumble across these stories of, of you know, we, we are always looking for the labor angle. There's always a labor angle, but you know, we, we're always surprised. Uh, Chuck Clay is still on the line with us. And Chuck, I just, I wanted to give you an opportunity to jump in here if you've got a question or a comment, brother. I, I, had you heard of Donald Fagan, of, of David Fagan? I have not. I'm, I'm reading them on my other computer right now. Um, uh, unfortunately, I have not heard of them, but uh, uh, I know of the struggle. <laughs> and, you know, that's pretty universal, actually. And, you know, I like the analogy between uh, his his struggles earlier and the uh, Vietnam War. Uh, you know, I think that's most apropos, you know, uh, and and it's still going on, you know, I, you know, I, I had uh, relatives in the Navy in the 70s and who were part of the, uh, on, on the aircraft carrier, that were part of a rebellion uh, because of the vicious racism uh, that the U.S. Navy had going on, you know, and um, it, uh, you know, it's, and the struggle continues as, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we, we're in the struggle, uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, hopefully we'll have, you know, people who will be the next vanguard uh, to come up, young people that will take up the banner and uh, educate themselves, despite uh, 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 Junior Trump, uh, Governor DeSantis, um, you know, trying to uh, squash any type of uh, educational uh, uh, realization about Black history. Uh, before I go to so, uh, add, before I go to add, and I'll come to you in a second, but but to your point, Chuck, and and, and to your point, Jonathan, on that, I, I I will say I take a. I take a glass half full. When when people like DeSantis go after the history, that says to me that we're doing something right. Yeah. Right? If, if people weren't paying attention to it, if it wasn't important, they'd ignore it, right? But the fact that they're targeting it says to me, uh-huh, we got something here that they don't want people to know. And the, as, as you know, you know, the more you try and hide stuff, the more people want to know about it. That's, that's, my, that's my glass half so, full. Ed, Ed, I know you so, want to get in on this. So on that point real quick, my 93-year-old mom, is uh, ranting and raving on Facebook about uh, <laughs> the culture wars uh, that DeSantis is putting her through. And she, she grew up in uh, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. She's a diehard liberal. And she's, uh, you know, she's still fighting, fighting the good fight. But, you know, um, my labor angle on this is the Tagalogs. So we have uh, brothers and sisters uh, in the nursing movement in California. And there's been a couple of hospitals that have, supervisors going around telling uh, these Filipino nurses that they can't speak Tagalog uh, to each other on the floors and they have to fight back. And so the discrimination is still around. And, uh, you know, if discrimination is discrimination, no matter race, creed, color, sex, uh, it's, it's about intimidation. It's about, you know, keeping my piece of the pie. You can't have it. And so if I can tell nurses not to speak that language, 
that keeps control over them. And I wondered if you had any comments on that, Jonathan. Well, it's interesting because my wife is Filipina. <laughs> so I may have to tell her she can't speak Tagalog. Oh, good, so luck. good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. Good luck with that. I'll tell her to switch to Visayan, which is another another you know, uh, dialect. But, um, you know, that's interesting you mentioned the nurses because, you know, I, I meet a lot of nurses through Isabel because the Filipino community is very closely knit here in Sonoma County. And they are some of the toughest, strongest union supporters um, in the hospitals out here at, at Kaiser and what have you, and in the huh. nursing homes. Huh. So, you know, there's a, there's a link between all of these things. I mean, I recently read, wrote a piece on um, Filipino farm labor that really forged the United Farm Workers That's many, right. many years earlier That's in the right. 30s. Um, you know, and, and it all seems to, it all ties together. I mean, I spent 13 years in the UAW in auto plant in, in, in Wisconsin until, you know, America deindustrialized. Um, and that's what I wrote the book about was really that experience. So it's a really apropos book for your listeners. Uh, if they're interested, if they go to my website, jonathanmelrod.com, they can get it for 40% off. Um, but, you know, I want to say one other thing. When you talk about you hope there's a new younger generation, I'm working with I'm working with an organizers at at Starbucks, at at Trader Joe's, at Four C at uh, New Seasons Markets in Port Portland, all of which are new young people organizing. And they have a vision They're they're They have more of a vision than we had when we went in. You know, I mean, they really see this as a they want to change the world. The union isn't just about punching in and out. Like somebody was saying earlier, you don't start your day when you punch in. You got to get there and there's a lot that happens. And, you know, that's that's exactly the way these young organizers are looking at it. So I think hey, we've Jonathan, got a lot to look forward to. Jonathan, come to D.C. We started an our organizing campaign at George Washington University Hospital. And most of the nurses are younger. They're fired up. They're, they're taking over the control of the union organizing. I'm there as support support and give them legal support, but they're writing the flyers. They're passing things out around their members. They're, they're really doing the control. And Chris, if you don't mind, if people want to go to get more information about that campaign, you can go to our website, dcna.org, and then join, if you're on Instagram, join uh, um, GWUH nurses and uh follow us because uh these jonathan you are so right and chris and i know this because we've interviewed a number of people in starbucks i think there is a sea change in organizing and late in the labor movement and i think the sea change is being driven by young people but also some older people are going ah it's about time i've been feeling this for years and now i'm ready to join too so i just wanted to point that out chris Jonathan, uh, just a, a final question to you, and I'm thinking about what you guys, all, all your Chuck and, and Ed and Jonathan talking about this. Uh, I'm reminded that I was on a, a rally uh, with some uh, young folks who have organized a union at Defenders of Wildlife. I don't think one of, any of them were over, you know, 30 at the most. 
um right. much much hipper than i mean they had costumes they had they had music i mean it was it, this was not your standard you know <laughs> picket line that that we've been walking um but but jonathan what what really impressed me was that these folks knew their labor history also and i guess i just wanted for the final question you know you're you're writing these books you're bringing you know stories uh like this uh, about brother fagan out um what what's why why are you doing that what what do you think is the importance of that what is what is something you know this is a guy who you know nobody's ever heard of it's from the 1890s you know which you know <laughs> as might as well be the the middle ages you know for americans who have no sense of history what why is it important to you or why is it important to the labor movement today to know the stories about mr fagan well yes uh what you know one of the reasons is he was a laborer and he had been beat up and scarred up on picket lines. So, you know, our lineage goes way back. I mean, Knights of Labor, what have you. Um, and, and that's important to keep that alive, you know. Sometimes in this country, I feel like we lose memory of what our own history is. You know, we get a history that's imposed on us. So that's one of the things that I find very important. In terms of writing, I wanted to inspire a young younger group of newly minted activists to keep fighting, to understand what can be accomplished. And it's remarkable how many of them have gotten in touch with me based on my book and asked me to help consult with them. One of them called me up the other day, said, I read your book chapter by chapter, I take notes, and then I go back in and use it for our organizing at Starbucks. <laughs> so to me, there could be nothing better than to hear that, to be honest. Totally yeah. makes sense to me. Jonathan Melrod, really appreciate bringing this story to us. Great book, uh, or Fighting Times, Organizing on the Front Lines of the Class War. Going to have to have you back on, brother. Thanks so much. I really appreciated it. All right. And you can uh, find that, as he said, let me see if I can find that link. Uh, Jonathan Melrod, that's uh, M-E-L-R-O-D.com. Uh, and it's, it's a really fascinating story. Great book. Um Really appreciate everybody listening today. Thanks, as always, to our engineers, Mike Nacella and Kalia Chapman. Really appreciate everybody listening. And, uh, Ed, I think you've got a little something for us on the way out. Yeah, and, you know, that's a great show today. Thanks so much, for Chris, for putting it together and great guests. Uh, one last push for you. Please give us a call. Make a pledge uh, on our winter pledge drive to... 202-588-9739, 1-800-222-9739, or go online, wpfwfm.org, I believe. Yeah, I put uh, .com, but you're right, it's .org, my bad. Yes, you did, <laughs> but I, 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 um, anything if not adaptable and can move on the, on the, on the spot. On the spot. Um, you can also pledge on our cash app, WPFW dollar sign. As we go out, you can still reach us, so contact us and support our show, but more importantly, support this great uh, institution, WPFW. Again, WPFW.org, 1-800-222-9732 or 202-588-9739. It's been a great hour, Chris. Thanks so much. Thank you, and Thank you all for listening, and we will see you all next week. Take care. This is a public service announcement.